hour two of Canuck Central. And this hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Satyar Shaw with Jamie Daw, Dan Riccio away this week. He'll be back next week attending to a number of different weddings. So it's a popular uh, guy. <laughs> very popular. Big family. Italian. So <laughs> a lot of weddings. So we'll have uh, Riccio back next week. But a lot of fun on Canuck Central with Jamie Daw. And if you missed the first hour of the show, it is up and available on podcast. We got into the latest on JT Miller's situation, some reporting from Ian McIntyre, Elliot Friedman, had some comments on, on the negotiations, and we had a chance to catch up with Scott Burnside to talk all things National Hockey League, the playoffs, the cup final, and yes, a JT Miller question as well. Like somebody called in, is this a JT Miller show? Some Sometimes it might very J- well JT be. JT Miller Central. <laughs> it might very well be JT Miller Central with how much we talked about JT Miller uh, this offseason. But we are going to switch gears and check out the NHL draft with Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News coming up in a, in a few minutes here. And, you know, picking number 15, uh, Jamie, the more I look into this draft, the more research I do on it and watch prospects and talk to scouts around the league, even if the Canucks stay at 15... I don't know. I'm kind of excited to see what happens. Oh, yeah. Well, look, whoever they take at 15 is immediately going to be the best prospect in the organization. <laughs> now, that says something about <laughs> yeah. the prospect pool itself as well, but they're going to get a high-quality prospect at 15. Yeah, it's a low bar, but <laughs> yes, but yes. just because it's a low bar doesn't mean you should diminish the quality of the potential player yeah. they may select at number 15. To talk about that and more, let's welcome in Tony Ferrari, prospect analyst for the Hockey News, into the discussion. Tony, uh, thanks for joining us, man. How are you doing today? Yeah, no problem. Doing good. Happy to talk prospects with you. Oh, man. Uh, always excited to talk talk prospects on this show. And, you know, we had thought uh, at least a couple of years ago when the Canucks made the postseason and made that run in the bubble that maybe the days of talking about, you know, lottery picks for the Canucks may be over. But no, we're right back into it when they don't trade their first round picks. And here they have one at number 15. And one question I love asking when we have um, analysts on like yourself, especially for the first time during a draft season, is how do you view that tier outside the top tier and how far does that extend, especially when you start looking at where Vancouver picks at number 15? Well, it's a really interesting draft because I think this year there's been a kind of a, a top four that solidified themselves in Wright, Juracek, Zivkovsky, and Cooley. And then from about five until 25, 30, even 40 really, depending on who you ask, it's wide open. And there could be guys that – there's obviously guys that are more favored in that top 10, top 15 range, but – at the end of the day, like there's a guy that some one board has ranked 30, another board might have him ranked 10. It's just a crazy year where there's so much divergence into who's who's where, and I think it's just going to basically be and it's going to be interesting to see what teams value because they're going to lean into what they value more than anything. I think this year. Well, absolutely, and if you start looking at okay possibilities of trading up, because I hear this all the time, and and I kind of wondered unless you trade up to a top five pick, is it really is there a lot of value in trading up from 15? Do you think in this year's draft? Honestly, at 15, I think you're in a good spot because, like you said, unless you're trading in that top five and one of those top few guys fall, or if you start noticing, say, a Eurocheck starts falling and they're at eight and you want to trade up to with Detroit or something like that, then maybe you make the move. But unless one of those guys fall, you're probably going to get a prospect of equivalent value, whether it's at seven, eight, fifteen, 15, or 16. And, you know, as you mentioned, uh, that Eurocheck has kind of, to a certain extent, solidified himself as the top defenseman in the draft. And I think probably for most people, Simon Nemich is the guy after that. But after those top two defensemen, looking at the next group of D-men, blue liners, who could go in the, anywhere from that kind of 5 to 20 range, who's the guy that you really like that jumps out, out, out to you in that group of players? 
The guy that jumps out to me is the guy kind of out, out west that so you guys might be familiar with him playing in the WHL final right now, and that's Kevin Korchinski. He's got an incredible transition game, and I think that's the biggest thing that, that strength of his game. But he's got this elusiveness in the defensive zone. He kind of reads the play and when he's kind of going back for a, and he's dealing with a forecheck. He already knows what his next move is, and if someone cuts that off, he's quick enough to adapt and make a play to the other side or make a quick pass and stuff like that. So just his escapability, the ability to affect the game in transition, and obviously the offensive numbers that he's put up this year have been pretty impressive too. But everything that you look for in a, in a modern-day defenseman is there. And, of course – you're concerned with the defensive game, a guy that plays a little bit more offensively, plays a little bit more in transition, but he's got the tools to be one of those modern-day defensive guys that don't necessarily crush you along the boards or anything, but they're going to strip the puck away from you and quickly turn play up by it. Well, and the interesting thing with Korchinski is, you know, as you said, the offensive numbers are there. He's still playing in the WHL playoffs, having a really good playoffs as well for Seattle, and unlike a lot of the, you know, offensively talented defensemen uh, that we see coming through the draft now, you know, he has size as well. He's six foot two, and I just think I wonder if that combination of all of those assets and all of those tools make him kind of the perfect candidate for GMs to fall in love with as we get closer to the draft. Because even if you don't like his defensive game now, because he has that size tool, you can kind of dream on what he could be on that end as well. Yeah, and that's just it. Like you said, he's a guy that has size. And there's maybe in that one other defenseman in this range that kind of has that size and skill combination. And that's Pavel Minchukov at the OHL. But Korchinski is a guy that actually understands the defensive game he isn't a fourth forward out there he's actually playing at both ends of the ice and like i said you don't worry about him if the puck is dumped deep behind him because he's going to be able to go back there and make adaptations and and understand where he needs to make the next play and and chain those little events together that make a big thing happen well and you know and and that's kind of the thing that i that i find interesting it's it's about being able to not just have the translatable skills but how do you make those around you better and when you're analyzing those sort of things like how does that stand out the most in your analysis when you look at a guy that's very toolsy, but also you're like, okay, well, how do you put that together and how do you make your line mates better at the same time? And that's the biggest thing, I think, when you're analyzing any prospect at this age of their career is are you able to kind of read the play and understand what the next step is? You don't necessarily need to know four or five steps ahead. That's, that's where the elite players really come in. But do you know what's next? And if that doesn't work, do you have a backup plan? Do you have a plan C and kind of understand what your options are going into something? Because there's so many players, especially when you're talking about a lot of these bigger defensemen who don't necessarily have that ability to kind of adapt on the fly. Their first plan is dump the puck off the boards or smash the puck off the the glass. And it's like, that works, but you're not generating anything for your own team when you do that a lot of times. So a guy like Korchinski, Minchukov, even a guy like Denton Matejchuk, who's out in the WHL as well, they have those skills to be able to identify, read the play, and and make that quick decision and, and, and have a backup plan with it as well. Uh, looking at the uh, the forward ranks, uh, I wanted to ask you about Yuri Kulish. And, you know, it's always interesting to see how players improve their stock at something like the U18s or some of the guys who got a chance to, to play at the World Championships as well. What, you know, I know Kulish had a strong U18s. Where do you see him kind of slotting in on draft boards now? And how much upside does that player have? Well, he's a guy that I've really liked all year. And I had him kind of early in the year, a little bit in the top 20 and everything. And I I got a little bit of flack for that, and then the U18s happened, and now everyone has him in the top 20. And it was one of those things where it's like he's a guy that's playing overseas, and he doesn't get seen a lot. He's not playing in the in the Liga or the SHL. So he's a guy that wasn't getting all this, this hype. He gets to some international events, gets a ton of hype because he's scoring a ton. Albeit at the U18s, a lot of it was on the power play. But this is a guy that has an unreal shot. He, worked, he has a good, really good work ethic. He's a north-south skater, does a lot of really good things, and plays a pro-style game. So I think this is a guy that has 
a ton of finishing ability, a guy that you throw on the wing and you're like, man, like this is a player that we don't have to worry about. We know what we're getting out of him every night. He's going to be able to kind of put in an effort defensively. He not know he was in the right spot, but he's putting in the effort. He's making things happen. And even if he isn't a guy that's chasing a guy down the center of the lane, when you're in that defensive zone, he's going to pressure along the board. He's going to pressure the defenseman up high and everything and make those plays. So a guy like Yuri Kulich, he's got that high-end finishing ability, and he's got the work ethic to kind of match it on both ends of the as well. Tony Ferrari, the Hockey News prospect analyst, is our guest here on Canuck Central. And looking at some of the forwards in, in this year's draft, one guy that you know there, there has been a, a lot of varied opinions on is Connor Geeky. I mean, he's big, he's strong, he's got a lot of skills, but not the fastest player. How do you view him as a prospect and what his ultimate upside might be? He's maybe one of the most boomer bust prospects in this draft because mm-hmm. he's got the size. He's got the skill. Even his defensive game, I don't think it's, it gets talked about enough, but he's one of the best players in the entire draft class at waiting for a, a, a pass to come to a player, lifting the stick and just taking that pass and moving it up ice and getting up, going the other way. So I think he's a really smart defensive player. He understands uh, where to be in the offensive zone. He's got really, an underrated shot. doesn't use it enough. I'd like to see him use it more. But he's got everything you want. He's a really high-end playmaker as well. The problem with him is he almost stomps through the ice when he skates. It's... it's a little concerning when you, you look at the NHL level and you're like seeing how fast the game is getting it. Seemingly every year it gets faster and faster. So a guy like him, if you can take him, put him with your development team and go, here's a skating coach, skate every day with him this summer, improve that because he has the physical tools. He's not a guy that doesn't have the strength in his lower body to, to be a good skater, at least leave it league average. So get, get that one skill up and this guy could be one of the top five players in the draft. The problem is there hasn't really not been much development in that skating department all year, and that's where I think the concerns come and why he's kind of fallen down the draft board a little bit. Uh, one player that doesn't have concerns about his skating but has been a very divisive player this whole draft cycle is Brad Lambert. And, you know, what is it about him that has kind of made him such an interesting and such a difficult player to pin down, and how far do you think he could end up falling come draft time? Brad Lambert is my boy. I've loved him all year. He's a guy that has some of the best tools in the entire draft class. He's one of the top two or three skaters. Uh, he's got some of the best passing abilities, some of the, maybe the best hands in the entire draft class. The big thing with him is you look at his stat sheet and you're like, oh, wow, like, you didn't do a whole lot in the stat sheet there. And At the end of the day, I think it takes a lot of nuance and context when you're examining a player like him. I think not stylistically, but same situation. Lucas Raymond a few years ago didn't put up a ton of points in the SHL, playing against men in the Pro League in Sweden. Brad Lambert did the same thing in Finland this year, and he's been a guy that's been super hyped up for the last few years, and he took a step back on the stat sheet this year. But when you look at things a little bit, the team he played on at the start of the year, Yuppie Veskala, not a very good team at all. They had really no structure to their game and everything like that. So it was like it was hard for him to get a handle on things, especially when he was playing on the first line to start the game. Then he was on the fourth line. Then he's playing on the third line. And then he requested a trade and went to the Pelicans, who he'd played with before earlier in his younger career, and that team was trying the flying V at times, it seems, coming out of the defensive zone. And, like, I love seeing it. It's right. fun. But, man, like, that's not anything that's going to generate offense. There's so many times where he makes a pass to the back door of the net and the guy just lets the puck fly off his stick or he's cutting across the middle of the neutral zone waiting for a pass and the pass gets dumped right behind him. So it's like he's not getting the opportunity to do things, but those skills, the translatability and everything that you look for in a player is there. He's a risk, though, because you don't see it. You haven't seen him play with players that I, I not even NHL caliber but realistically not even league caliber to be honest so it's a risk but I think just like Lucas Raymond a few years ago you could be getting a guy that ends up putting up 50 points in his rookie season and then kind of just yeah. takes off from there 
Well, those are always the, the tricky ones because, I mean, it's, it's the old cliche, has all the tools, but do you have the toolbox type of deal? And if he does, I mean, incredible player. And I, I, was, I was curious to see how you compare Brad Lambert to a guy like Marco Casper. Well, that's the uh, that's kind of the opposite story, right? Yeah. Marco Casper is the ultimate safe pick in this draft, I think. He's, and that's why he's moving up boards and he's kind of peeking into the top ten on some draft boards and everything. And it's because you look at him and you're like, well, that's a, a second-line center, and if he's not that, he's a third-line center. And you don't have to worry about it. At the same time, you don't have, really have that upside of going, hey, this guy could be a first-line center. Or if he moves over to the wing, he could be on the first line on the wing. That's not really an option for a guy like Marco Casper. He plays a really pro-style game. He has a lot. All of his tools are plus, but nothing is really elite. Nothing's highly above average or even great. It's just really good across the board. And he's got a good defensive game, a good offensive game, meat and potatoes kind of player. But again, when you're drafting in the top 10 or even top 15, you're trying to get a guy that's going to be a difference maker for your team, a guy that's going to be able to kind of take your team to the next level. And Marco Casper seems like a guy that at the end of the day, you can probably get in free agency and, and kind of sign him there and not have to worry about the development and everything with him. So He's probably going to be in the NHL before a lot of the guys that are drafted ahead of him, but he probably doesn't have the ceiling of any of those guys either. Well, and just philosophically, as you, as you kind of mentioned there, especially from the Canucks position where we were, we were talking about it just before we got you on the line, you know, whoever they draft at 15 is going to be their best prospect, partly because they don't have a very good prospect system and they really need to add high-end talent. And, you know, as you said, kind of for every team, that logic might make sense. But I think especially for a team in the Canucks position, they almost have to aim a little bit higher than maybe a safe pick, uh, like you're describing Marco Casper. Yeah, I think for me, that's always the kind of the thing I'm looking for. Is even in the, the second, third round, I'm looking for guys that can play in the top six to the top four. I'd love to get a guy that plays in the top in the bottom six, be a guy that will be an NHL player. But a lot of times, the guy you draft to be in the top six will end up being that bottom six guy if, if he doesn't work out. So you, have, you don't have that worry. So I think a guy like Mark Brad Lambert, a guy like Matthew Zavoy, uh, Kevin Korchinski, those are guys you, you target. Some teams are going to draft Marco Casper because hockey does that, and that's what, what just happens every year at the draft. And he's going to be a good NHL player. I have no doubt about that. But he's going to be a guy that puts up 20 and 25, 20 and 30, a 50-point player kind of at the cap. Whereas if you draft Brad Lambert, yeah, there's the risk that he doesn't end up working out fully or he works out with the second team he ends up playing for in the NHL whatever it may be, but there's also a risk that he's the best player on your team and he's pushing Elias Pettersson for the top-line center role. So it's all about risk and reward. I think with Patrick Alvin's first draft this year, he's going to want to make an impact and make a, a statement. So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. Uh, now, just asking a question about the two defensemen at the very top of the draft. I mean, we, we talked about uh, Nemich, of course, and um, um, why is the name all of a sudden escaping? David Yurich. There we go. Yurich a lot. I mean, as far as Nemec is concerned, how do you view him, especially as a right uh, side prospect and, and the type of talent he has? Well, Nemec, I have him a little bit lower than than Juracek, but he still he is very clearly the top two, top top two defenseman in this draft class. I think he's got this incredible offensive talent. He's got the mindset to be a really big difference maker. The one thing I look for in his game is I want him to be more aggressive. There's so many times where you almost see him; he has the room to make a play, especially at the Slovakian uh, men's level. But he doesn't do it. He'll make the safe play. And, and he has the skill to do it, and he will pull it out from time to time. And he put up record-breaking numbers this year. His playoffs was insane where he had 17 points in 19 games for a defenseman, which is absolutely unreal. And he just came up short in the final. But this is a guy that you almost need to light the fire under, and that's when you can get the full, full package out of him. With that said, his defensive game is a little bit of a concern at times. He's a guy that, in transition, he pushes the puck up the ice rather than kind of stick handles it up the ice. I kind of compare him to Morgan Riley a lot of times when I look at him, where – 
I think Morgan Riley is a fantastic defenseman. He does a lot of things offensively and in transition that are really good. But at times you get frustrated with him in, def- in the defensive zone. And I think that's kind of where Nemec's game will probably end up at the NHL level if, I th- if I'm making a judgment. But at the same time, I don't think any team's going to go, I don't want Morgan Riley on my team. Uh, one of the things I always like to ask when we have draft analysts on and, and scouts on is, you know, who's that guy that might fall to the end of the first round or might even slip out of the first round and go early in the second that you're really high on and you think could really make a lot of teams regret passing on him in a few years? Well, I think it's starting to be Frank Nazar, which just seems weird to me because he's he was in the top 10 for most of the year. And as the seasons all kind of ended, he starts falling down draft boards. I've seen him at 25 30 even on draft boards and for me he's still a top 10 prospect this kid's got unreal pace to his game uh, he plays with a high energy level one of the better shot finishers for that u.s national under 18 team and he's got an incredible upside because as, as much as he's able to do on the ice there's still such a big element of rawness to him so he's a guy that you look at and you're like wow this is an incredible ball of clay to mold and i would love to get him in my development staff if i'm a team that's in the late first round a team like toronto or even montreal with that calgary pick you go, oh, this could be a great player to put in with our development system, especially Montreal where they've got that, that new development system coming in and they're starting to build up that, that development staff. You get a guy like Frank Nazar in there, and, man, he could be an absolute stud. He could be one of the top five, six players in this draft class if everything works out because he plays with speed, he plays with pace, he has a great shot, he can make a pass. And, and at the end of the day, even though he's not in the right spot defensively, he's attacking the puck carry. He's going to go after the guy. And, he can play. He's played center for most of the year. He plays on the wing sometimes, but if he doesn't work out at center, you have this high energy, high paced winger that can expect the game in offense, transition, and kind of everywhere. So I think Frank Nazar is probably my guy for this year. And mm-hmm. if he does end up falling towards the end of the first round, I'm going to be a little little surprised. But some teams going to get a really good player. Uh, it's, it's very exciting. I mean, yeah, he's a guy that a lot of people have kind of earmarked as that kind of guy potentially, but also some that are cool on him. So I'm fascinated to see where he kind of ends up. And before we let you go, anytime we, we have someone like you on the show, a lot of our listeners get super excited and give us suggestions for questions and, and ask about specific guys. So we'll go to our text inbox before we let you go. Cutter Gauthier, what do you think of the left-wing prospect out of the CHL? I like Cutter Gauthier, and I feel bad because now that he's jumped into the top 10 seemingly, kind of as Nazar's fallen out, he's been the guy that's replaced him. It's almost confusing to me. He's a guy that I think people saw him play four or five games at center over the Christmas break when uh, Logan Cooley went to the World Junior Team, and now they're like, oh, this guy's a center going forward. He's playing on playing at a college next year, and I really like Cutter Gauthier. He's got a really good shot. He's got some offensive tools. Uh, he's willing to kind of play a little bit more of a physical game at times. But I don't think he's going to be a guy that is kind of worth that top 10 pick. I think I put him in that Marco Casper tier where, yeah, you're going to get an NHL player. You get a guy that you're, you're fairly safe on projecting. But where's that upside and everything? And while I don't think it would be a Tyler Boucher pick and that, that kind of reach that Ottawa took last year, I do think some team might make a mistake by taking him if a guy like Nazar or Brad Lambert or even Matthew Savoy are still available. Tony, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Make sure to follow Tony on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari NHL Draft Prospect Analyst for the Hockey News and Sports Illustrated. Now, Tony's has been great. Let's do this again in the future. Yeah, sounds good, guys. Awesome. Uh, some good insight into the 2022 NHL Entry Draft by Tony Ferrari. And, you know, on Cutter Gauthier, it's interesting because there are so many guys, wingers in this year's draft, that rank really high. I mean, when you start looking for Vancouver, it's like, okay, Casper can play center, Lambert can play yeah. center, and you look at defensemen, and those are the positions the Canucks are really kind of looking at here. But there are a number of wingers 
that are very talented in this year's draft. And one is really going to pop. And it's going to be fascinating to see that does a guy like Nazar or Casper or Lambert go ahead of some of these guys and how that looks in hindsight later? I mean, I understand you want to go after some of these centers, but... You know, talking to some guys, you heard Tony mention it too. Some of these wingers here are very talented. Well, and at a certain point, the value does... Look, I I understand why there's a kind of push to make it either a center or a defenseman with this pick for the Canucks because of positional value. But at a certain point, the talent outweighs that. And somebody just texted in a name uh, that's kind of caught my eye as well, which is Isaac Howard, uh, who's that wing prospect from the U.S. National Development Team program. But kind of a natural goal scorer, really high skilled. And look, if you get a winger who turns into an elite goal scorer, okay, sure, it's not at a premium position, but teams pay for goal scorers, right? So that's still a, a kind of premium skill you can add to your organization potentially through a player on the wing. Yeah. Um, and, and at the end of the day, elite talent is what you're after. Yeah. And there is a level of overthinking it. Now, nobody goes into the draft picking a player saying, eh, we're happy with this guy just being a third-pair guy or a, or a third-line center. There's a reason you draft them, and there's projection going into your in your analysis and why you're selecting that type of player. But ultimately, you just got to take the guy that you feel like is going to give you the most value. Now, for Vancouver, and we'll delve into this a bit more during tomorrow's show, is trading up in the draft your best way of getting that long-term right-side defenseman? Yeah, we'll dig it into could that. be. We'll dig into that a bit more during Canuck Central tomorrow. Now, uh, on the other side, we'll dig into more NHL trade rumor stuff. We had Scott Burnside on, and uh, you know, we did kind of mention the trade bait board. Well, the Canucks have a few players on that board. We'll talk about that, and also on of those players that are available. Do, do any of those pique your interest for the Canucks to go after? We'll discuss that right here on Canuck Central. Final segment of the show, Canuck Central, Satyar Shaw, Jamie Dodd, and this hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. A lot of fun on the show today. Uh, we, we have exhausted the JT Miller Never. conversation Never. for the day, for the day. We'll, <laughs> we'll have more updates as I come. Hey, listen, man, like, you know, we were talking about this off-air, and um, it is the biggest story for the Canucks right now because there is a sense that a deal will get done with Bo. I mean, a deal will get done with Besser. It seems more optimistic that they can find common yep. ground with Bo Horvat, at least from the organization's point of view, it seems, and from the player's point of view. We'll see with JT. Besser's pretty straightforward. And yeah, there's some talk about this guy and that guy. We'll get to some trade players, some guys on trade market that aren't the big names in a second. But the biggest story of this offseason is what happens with number nine. Well, and realistically, look, I get it. I get the fatigue of talking about it. And hey, we still have potentially another month of <laughs> doing it. But realistically, whether it's the Canucks or any team, I mean, how often are you in this situation where there's a very realistic chance you could trade a guy who just scored 99 points for you, right? Yep. Like, it's a it's an inherently interesting, dramatic situation because it doesn't happen all that often. And I think that's why there's so much interest in it. And yeah, I mean, for, for as much as it can wear a little thin for some people, and I completely understand that at the same time, you know, when we let off the show talking about numbers and everything today, 
our inbox was flooded with yeah. people chiming in. Like the interest is there, the curiosity is there on JT Miller. People want to know what's going to happen with JT Miller. It matters. So, but uh, we'll we'll keep that you know on top of things. We'll keep on top of the JT Miller conversation. I promise we will over the next yes, little while. Yes. No. If there is, but, if Elliot Friedman so much as says the words JT Miller, you will hear it here first. We will play it for you and talk about it. Oh yeah, we'll have it. We'll we'll be on top of it. But I did think it was interesting as I move around, try to put my phone into the charger and. <laughs> It's not bad, actually. It's that was working. pretty good. You it's didn't miss a working. beat. If you, didn't, if you hadn't mentioned it, nobody would have known. It's not too bad. All right. My phone's dying, so i got to plug it in here. Now, um, when it comes to the trade market overall, though, and who may be available, I mean, we mentioned Frank Zero Valley, our regular weekly insider. We had Scott Burnside on, and we referenced the trade list, the, the trade bait board that they have. And at number four ranks JT Miller. But a bit farther down the list, Jamie, a couple of Canucks make mm-hmm. appearance. Yeah, at 18, they're, uh, they're, I guess, tied for 18th or just one entry or two players on one entry. It is Tanner Pearson and Jason Dickinson at 18th on uh, Frank Saravelli's trade target list for the offseason. Now, I love how they're put together yes. on the same you know number because they're so different as players. Uh, here are the similarities. Both are forwards. Both have two years left of yep. their contracts. Very different seasons both of them had. Now, Pearson got hurt towards the end of the year. End of the year, he gets paid a bit more than Jason Dickinson, but I think he has proven this season yet again he's a very capable player to play in your top six on a second line. He's a capable second line forward that can play well along the boards, is good defensively, and can help a team that's trying to win in the postseason. And he can keep up and complement really good players. Yeah. It, he did a lot of great work on a line with JT Miller and Brock Besser this year. Yeah. And was he? You know, he wasn't just a passenger. Obviously, he's the third player on that line. He's a complementary piece, but he was doing things that helped those guys succeed. And I think about the quote John Cooper had about uh, Andre Palat, right? He's a blue-collar blue player yeah. who can play with white-collar guys, right? And look, Tanner Pearson's not Andre Palat, but the same type of mold as that kind of meat-and-potatoes guy who has enough skill and enough hockey IQ to keep up with your high-end players and maybe fill a role in your top six because of that. Well, and, and that's why when I look at Tanner Pearson as a trade asset, I believe he is at least somewhat of a trade asset. I mean... Uh, we're talking about a guy who's going to turn 30 next year, has two years remaining on his contract, but the money's not ridiculous. $3 million next season, 3.25 cap hit. Yeah, it goes up a bit in the final year at 4.25, but it's not ridiculous. We're talking about $7.25 million next yeah. two years. That's like That averages out to $3.6 million roughly or, per season, which is that's just over league average money for a guy who plays in your second line. And don't forget as well, this is a guy who won a Stanley Cup yep. with the LA Kings, right? So that he checks a box that a lot of teams would be interested in, you know, is a hardworking character type of guy. There's a lot of reasons why teams would be interested in Tanner Pearson. Now, what I what's going to be the key to all this is what is the valuation on Tanner Pearson? And that's a question we don't have an answer to yet. And I wonder though, and I've I've heard in the past from a couple of teams, from people from different teams, and I asked about Tanner Pearson, how do you view him as a player? And the sense I got, not asking people in Vancouver, was he's a guy you can move. You're probably not getting a lot because of there's a couple of years and mm-hmm. all this sort of stuff, and and yada yada. And the Canucks need cap space; they're not in in, in the bargaining position of strength, really, and when it comes to these sort of things. So teams will squeeze them a little. But the sense I got was Pearson's a guy you can move. You can probably move most of that money, if not yep. all of it. Yeah, you may not get a second or something, but maybe you do get a mid-round pick or a later pick. Because one thing that Patrick Alvin told us on Canucks Central a couple weeks ago was, yeah, it's going to be hard for us to get those first and second round picks. 
But yeah, we can probably give some mid-round late, later picks. What's the value you put on Tanner Pearson? It's kind of similar to me to um, the Tyler Myers one. Because in a year's time, Myers will have more value. Right-hand defenseman, mm-hmm. last year of his contract. You can retain a little bit. You can get you, a second. I think that you've, you'll pay a signing bonus out, right? So yeah. the actual salary will be a lot lower. There are ways to maximize that value in his last year and actually get something good for him. You know, a second and more and something along those lines. Pearson is similar. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a $1.5 million signing bonus, which is a massive. But once that gets paid out, you're talking about just under $3 million of real money owed to him in the final year of his deal. And at that point, when he's a rental and if you retain a little bit, Teams give up like second round picks, if not yep. more. And Pearson was when the, before the Canucks. Obviously, this is going back before they signed him to that extension a couple of years ago. I heard there was at least one offer on the table that was a second round pick plus for Tanner Pearson, and they decided not to make the deal and they signed him instead. A lot of factors they felt important to it. But one thing I heard: teams are willing. Now, there's some talk that if the Canucks really put him on the market, maybe you got even more. You saw Felino got a first that yep. year and all that sort of stuff. But the point being, this is a guy that teams have been after in the past one season to fund on a year of his deal, that's an actual real asset you have. So why are you punting on him and not maximizing him as an asset this offseason? It really comes down to how much you value getting the most in return for him versus having the extra cap space yes. this year, right? That's, because that's there the is the value of opening up the cap space now instead of sometime down the road. Because I even think, you know, at this year's trade deadline, right? At the next trade deadline, if, if he's playing in your top six and playing alongside some of your top players and, again, you know, putting up a half point a game, even with the extra year in his deal, I think he would still be a really valuable trade asset at this year's trade deadline. So that's definitely an option if you just purely want to maximize your return. But I think the question is, what can you do on top of whatever you get back for Pearson with the extra salary cap flexibility that you open up? Well, and, and that's going to be the biggest thing. And what do you have lined up for it? So I think for JT, for, for a guy like Tanner Pearson, that's going to be the biggest question. It's kind of similar to Tyler Myers. We can trade this guy. We're not getting what we want for him, but we can trade him. Yeah. What's the reason for us trading him for less than we can get down the road? There has to be a reason for that. And I, and I wonder what that reason may end up being. And hey, it might be a trade. It might be free agency. It might be a number of different things. Well, it, I think I look at one thing that I think is going to be really interesting. There's a lot of teams that look at themselves as contenders that are going to need to shed salary cap, right? So yeah. if you trade, let's say you trade both Pearson and Tyler Myers, okay? That's all of a sudden more than $9 million in cap space that you're opening up. Okay, maybe you don't get the ideal return, but you get something back for those guys. Well, then can you go to... You know, the Florida Panthers, the Edmonton Oilers, the Vegas Golden Knights and say, hey, we'll take one of your bad deals and you get an asset from them. Right. And then you're kind of that helps supplement what you would be getting back from for um, Pearson and Myers, because you're also using that cap space to bring more assets into your organization. And, uh, you know, is there another level here where you can make a hockey deal with a guy like Tanner Pearson, like a team that's capped out? And it's like, okay, we'll trade a guy with that's making more money to you for him and something Mm -hmm. else. But we get a player who helps us, makes a lot less money. But how else do you open up you know, space for that to happen? And whereas Jason Dickinson, I think, is a completely different situation. Yes. It's a far harder guy to trade. And I don't think you worry about what you get back in return. If you can move him and not take money back, no 100%. matter what it is, you do it. Because it hasn't worked out, and that cap space can help you in different ways. Now, if that can't happen... I'm fine with bringing Jason Dickinson back, seeing if it's better next season and all that. Yep. But he's a guy that you trade for whatever you can. If you get the, if you can get that money off the If books. you get the money off the books, you pull the trigger. If yeah. it's a situation where, and I know when we talked to Frank Saravelli earlier this week, he said, look, the Arizona Coyotes have called the Canucks and made it known that they'd be willing to uh, take on some bad salary. 
I don't think you have to consider doing that with Jason Dickinson right now, right? I would much rather bring him back, see if he can rebuild some of that value. And the thing is, you know, there's two more years left on Jason Dickinson's salary, Jason Dickinson's salary. If you still don't like where it's at and he doesn't rebuild his value this season, it's a pretty easy buyout candidate yeah. following this coming season, right? So I, I would be very reluctant to part with an asset just to get Jason Dickinson off your salary cap sheet because you always have that buyout off, uh, um, option coming. Yeah, you do. And I think that's why one more year for it, you can kind of figure that out. So that's the latest on Jason Dickinson and Tanner Pearson and kind of how we view those types of players. Now, um, the trade bait list has far more players than oh, yeah. just the Canucks we mentioned. I mean, hey, JT Miller comes in at number four. So the top three guys on the trade bait list are Alex Debrinkett, number one, Kevin Fiala, number two, Jacob Chikrin coming in at number three. I mean, I, I, I'd say that that's generally fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can quibble with Fiala and JT to some degree, but Fiala's yeah. much younger. That's the, the, the one thing those three guys have in common is they're all younger, yeah. right? And then, you know, in the case of Chikrin, he's locked up for three more years. Fiala's an RFA, so that's a little bit different. You know, Dabrinkit has the one year left. But I think what, what vaults all of those guys ahead of JT Miller is they are significantly younger. Right. No, exactly. Um, now, if we start looking at some players that you may like on the trade bait list, I'm going to go to one right away who comes in at number 10, and that is Philippe Myers. Okay. Now, I'm not suggesting go and trade Philippe Myers and take on the money. Because he, he was healthy scratch at some point, hasn't worked out with uh, the National Predators, but he has one more year left at 2.55. Like, is there a Dickinson for Myers type of swap? Yep. I mean, do they care about that at all, for instance? Like, is there a way for you to move that? Like, could you do a Pullman for, for Myers type of swap? And that depends on Pullman's health, obviously, heading into the season, and we'll see ultimately where that is. That's the type of guy I don't mind taking a flyer on if you can shift something else out. But because he has one year left and those other guys have term left, that's what makes it hard. The other interesting thing about uh, Philippe Myers, which I didn't fully understand, but Saravelli does a good job explaining in his article, is because he's only 25 and the way his deal was structured, if you acquired him and bought him out, you would actually get bonus cap space. You would get a little bit over, over 600000 of a, a cap credit on the, the upcoming season salary cap. Now, there would be a charge after that. that but you but still if get a you're, credit. you know, Could you the, imagine getting a credit? Yeah. If you're the Leafs, if you're the Golden Knights, and you're trying to squeeze every penny you can out of the roster, that might be a really interesting contract for you, right? Because you buy him out, and all of a sudden you have extra cap space on your salary cap sheet for one year just because of this random CBA quirk. Well, and... There is some value there. That's why I don't mind a player like him. You know what I mean? Because I think that if you can shift the money around, those things to me are interesting. But he's not a player that I go and trade for and give up assets for. No, it, it's it, as you said, the kind of bad contract for bad contract deal, right? And at least there's less term on him. I mean, the one that jumps out to me, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but it's number 12 on the uh, trade target list, and we've talked about him a lot, is John Marino. And look, we all know the connections, right? John Marino and, and Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine from their time in Pittsburgh. Right side defense, young, all of those things. But, I mean, there's a reason we've talked about him so much. I think he'd be a great fit here. So if he is legitimately on the market because they want to bring back Latang and Malkin and Rust and they have to move him out, yeah, the Canucks should absolutely be in on that. They should absolutely. That's something you have to consider. You know, I mean, yep. those are the types of things that if the, if that's a guy that you can actually acquire and you have the pieces to make. You have to consider one of those players. It's hard to find those right-hand defensemen. It's really hard. It's you incredibly, know? like, especially one who's locked up at a young age with cost certainty for a while. And maybe you don't think the contract is a home run, but 
it's something you can plan around, right? You're not, oh, man, we're going to have to pay him in a year. Or we're going to have to pay him in two years. He has that certainty that you can deal with. And I think he has a lot of upside as well. Those guys don't come on the market all that often. No, and we'll, we'll delve into this a bit more tomorrow when it comes to those right-hand defensemen, how to find them and the draft and all that sort of stuff on, on the show. But that's why even guys that are considered second-pair guys, and even that's why even Tyler Myers, it's, it's so funny because he's such a polarizing player. And, yes, he's flawed in all those sort of things. But the reason why he's always going to have value is because he plays the right side and he does it better than people think, despite the fact he's paid a lot of money. Yeah. And that's well, why. And, and speaking of right shot defensemen, you know, another name that's on the list that's really interesting to me, he's down at 23, is Ethan Bear. Mm. And, you know, the way things ended for him this year, yeah. not playing for the Carolina Hurricanes at all in the playoffs, if he's a guy, he's pending RFA, maybe they don't want to pay him given how, you know, what, what the mm-hmm. end of his season looked like. If you can take a relatively cheap flyer on him, you know, the Canucks just need young, right-sided defensemen with a little bit of upside. And maybe yeah. Ethan Bear's never going to be a top-four guy with you, but he can come in and just be a solid piece on that right side. Again, if the price is right there, that's a really interesting name to me. Well, and especially if it's cheap. If he's a guy you that's can acquire. If, if there is, if you can, say, make other deals, like an extra fourth or something, or something, and you can acquire him, some, like the Travis Dermott deal, something along yeah. those lines, or maybe you ship something else out— that's interesting to me. I mean, I don't mind doing that. And I wonder, though, that if D'Angelo doesn't go back to Carolina, that they just if naturally they end up keeping him keeping him, and see what happens next year because he didn't get much of a chance this past year. They were kind of at a logjam on the right side for that team. Um, the other one that I would bring up, and and I'm going to admit that this is probably probably a, a blind spot for me, Philip Zadina, because I liked him a lot heading into yeah. the draft class. And I don't know why it hasn't worked out. I mean, you watch him play, and you see like he's a bit more timid, and he wasn't timid before. Despite every once in a while, he does show a little bit of um, some level of like gumption in his game. But it's really strange because he has a lot of skill. And I wouldn't trade anything. Like I wouldn't do a Hoaglander for Zadina swap, for instance, because Hoaglander's already shown he's more. Produ- he's produced better. He's produced and, better. Yeah. I wouldn't do anything like that. But you know, like how cheap is he? That's the interesting question, right? And somebody texted in about it. Uh, I really think the Canucks should take a flyer on Philip Zadina. Tons of skill can be had for cheap, just needs a change of scenery. And you're right. There's always going to be that allure for a guy who was so highly rated and so highly thought of in his draft year. And, of course, you know, it would be kind of funny for the Canucks to also have the guy who was picked right in front of, <laughs> of Quinn Hughes. Yeah. Famously exactly. by the that, Detroit Red Wings. That would be really funny, that yes. would be really good, but... There's obvious talent. There's obvious upside there. And again, it, it really comes down to how cheap would he actually be. Saravelli mentions, you know, there's a possibility the Red Wings might want to see how he does under a new coach yeah. instead. But mm-hmm. man, if he's out there and, and the price is reasonable, there's real talent there. And we, we've talked about it. What do they need to do? They need to add high-end elite talent to your organization. And there's certainly no guarantees Adina is going to kind of realize that potential. But he's still only 22. You know, yeah. this is not a guy you're talking about who's 24, 25, bounced around a lot. He's still relatively young, still has a chance to be a top six guy. Well, this is also one of the issues about um, not having a ton of prospects in your system. Because right now, I mean, you're not trading Rathbone. Yeah. We're, we're already talking about not trading a guy like Hoaglander. But, I mean, there's not a prospect I can think of right now that's like, okay, that would make sense. Like, even... Goaltending wise, is DiPietro getting him? No, probably not. I, don't I mean, Silovs so. hasn't proven enough, even though they're, they're high on him here, potentially, yeah. you know, organizationally. But looking at the defensemen in this organization, Aiden McDonough's rights aren't, isn't going to get it done. No, 
because if he gets traded, he may not sign and just go to free agency. So you're getting Zadina for that. It's just when you don't have a lot of prospects either, it's not just about them coming through. It's also about, hey, can you make a swap and go after somebody somewhere and that doesn't involve having draft picks? Yeah, you can't you can't take advantage of some of these opportunities. Yeah. And it, the same thing with not having all your draft picks or not having extra draft picks, right? It becomes really, really difficult to move on. And another player who I would put, he's in a bit of a different category than Philip Zadina, but again, former high draft pick that they might have to move on from is Jesse Pugliarvi in Edmonton. If he is on the market, he will be more expensive than Zadina, cost more as well. Uh, he's an RFA who will need a new contract. But I think that's a guy who, you know, his his numbers haven't been spectacular with Edmonton, but I think he does a lot of things really well, and he could be a really interesting fit. Again, in the, you know, fits that age range with Pedersen and Hughes. Could be a nice complimentary guy in the top six. Yeah, you know, he certainly could be. Uh, anybody else that stood out to you on the trade list here? Before you know, the, other, the only other one, and it's in a very different category, but as I mentioned, if you do move Myers and Pearson, let's say, then can you take on some bad money, right, from other teams? And the guy that kind of stands out to me, well, there's two. One, of Evgeny Dadunov, who we know, you know, obviously Vegas yes. tried to trade once, but that would be an interesting one. And the other guy is Patrick Hornquist from Florida, right? He, he seems almost a stone-cold guarantee to be moved this offseason because of their salary cap situation. Of course, was with Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine uh, in Pittsburgh, won a Stanley Cup there, and that's the kind of guy, he's making $5 million. It's not a good number for what he is as a player right now, but if you free up that extra cap space, if you get something for taking him and you bring him in, you know, can he be a, a guy who contributes on your power play, who still plays a role in your top six? And who knows? Maybe you flip him at the deadline again to a contender. Well, I think those are the things you have to keep in mind as well. Let's say that you you can keep JT, he gets traded, and you don't land a big ticket item you want to replace him. And you look at it and say, well, we have a spot open. Yep. Maybe Florida forks over a pick for us to take that money, a third or whatever it is. We get an extra pick, and then we have a one-year Patrick Hornquist to eat up that money yeah. and see what he does. He gives us He's good on the power play. Exactly. He can help you out a little bit, and let's see where it goes after put him. Put him in a spot to succeed. He'll get some minutes, and then, hey, yeah, see where it goes. Maybe he's a great fit. We like him as a leader. We like him as a veteran, all those things. Or maybe some team comes calling at the at the trade deadline, and we get another asset for him. Yeah, and, and I think those are the things you have to consider, depending on what happens ultimately with those big, big name players. But uh, a lot of fun digging through this and seeing the guys available on the NHL trade market potentially and where this may all go. Um, a lot of good texts and thoughts coming in. This one here says, Canucks management are like uh, grade five kids holding on to mediocre Pokemon cards, hoping they eventually gain value. They have the odd foil card, but it's a common foil. I mean, hey, listen, I'm not going to pretend to know. I was going to say, I don't know what that means. Pokemon, but uh, very much. I know my younger brother was into it, but... Um, I get it. I, get I, what, I, I, I think I get what I he's, get saying. What he's saying. Yeah, yeah, even though I don't know exactly uh, exactly what he's talking about there. Not not quite sure. Uh, Dan from Van says, uh, change the norm. Pearson, Besser, move them up, shake it up. Um, and uh, Jeffrey a bit earlier mentioned, I don't remember anybody complaining about getting Besser at number 22 when we were talking about just take the best player available, even if it's a winger. Sometimes I, I do also like that we, we started the segment talking about, you know, how some people were complaining. We talk about JT Miller too much, and we were just kind of explaining why that is. And Kurt from Ladner texted in, I personally love JT Miller Central. <laughs> we so like thank it. you, Kurt. Awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Appreciate it. Uh, love it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for sending your thoughts, and we appreciate it. Now, before we wrap things up, let's take a quick look at the betting odds for the conference final in Game 5 between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Rangers. And... Bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book. And we mentioned the odds for this game. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I find 
the cup odds to be fascinating right now. And I, I think that when we start looking at who can win the Stanley Cup and the Conn Smythe Trophy and all that sort of stuff, and we mentioned yesterday that, hey, you want to get some juice, get in on Tampa pretty soon because it's, it's changing. You could have got in on Vasilevsky and Kucherov at 9.5. 9.5 to 1 yep. to win the Conn Smythe. Already, Kucherov's down to 8.5 yeah. with with just how much money is coming in on Kucherov already. I mean, they were at 12.5 just, just over 24 hours ago. If, if Tampa does close out the Rangers and go on to the Stanley Cup final, it's going to be really fascinating to see what the odds makers have to say about, you know, that matchup and the Conn Smythe odds and everything. Because, yeah, Kucherov is gaining steam in a really, really quick way here. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, as far as who's going to win um, the Stanley Cup this year, Colorado 1.45, so not a lot of value there. Tampa 4.15, so still some decent value. If for some reason you are a New York Rangers fan and you believe in a New York miracle happening, 7.25 for the Rangers to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I personally wouldn't be putting my money down on that. But hey, if you if you want to take a flyer on Shesterkin, you know, having an incredible final, uh, what it, you know, seven to nine games here to end the season, go for it. Well, he's, he's going to have to have a massive game. And uh, that game is coming up shortly right here on Sportsnet 650. It is game five, Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Rangers from Madison Square Garden. For Jamie Dodd, I'm Satyar Shaw. Thanks to Josh Elliott Wolf, our producer. Thanks to all of you listening to Canuck Central. We look forward to being back on the show again tomorrow right here on Sportsnet 650.